Well, happy Father's Day. Come on, I love a packed house on Father's Day. I want to give it up for all of the, the men and dads who are leading spiritually by bringing your family to church with you this weekend. Proud of you guys. I want to welcome all of you joining us at all of our locations as well as those online. My name is Josh Surratt. I have the privilege of, of serving as a lead pastor here at Seacoast and excited about today. Uh, we want to lift up and celebrate dads. You know, sometimes in church, the the moms get celebrated on Mother's Day and the dads get yelled at on Father's Day. And we're not going to do that today. Uh, we're going to encourage you guys. I think about fathers and I think about especially our online crew. And I was, I was reminded of Ken Thibodeau. Uh, Ken sent me an email a couple of weeks ago. Ken was actually the very first South Carolina Stingray. So if you're into hockey, uh, moved down here about 30 years ago and started coming to the church. And seven years ago, they moved back to Toronto, Canada with his family. And he sent me an email a couple of weeks ago. He said, hey, we've been still Seacoasters. We watch every single week. And what they do is they watch together uh, as a family. And then they take 30 minutes after each service. And they ask the two big questions. What's God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? Well, a few weeks ago, his 13-year-old son, youngest son, Cannon, his answer to that question was, I, I need to get, get baptized. I've given my life to Jesus. And I want to get baptized. And so, so uh Thibodeau family, Ken, and they, they said, that's great. We'll, we'll do that. And he said, but hey, I'm not getting baptized anywhere other than at my home church. And so he said, hey, would you guys be willing to baptize us? We're coming to town. And so a few Mondays ago, they drove down from Canada, got a couple pictures of Ken and his son and uh, getting baptized here at Seacoast on a Monday afternoon. So want to welcome the Thibodeaux. Way to go, Ken, leading your family and your home. And you know, they were so grateful. They're like, we can't believe that you're you're coming and doing this baptism for us. I said, you drove from Toronto, Canada. I drove five minutes. Like, we're, we're good. Um, but, but it just shows you the power of just influence that, that we have in our families as dads and moms. And we, we have the power to influence. And there are highs and lows and valleys that we go through as families. But if we keep on doing consistently the right things, we will influence our children prayerfully to, to follow Christ and make that same decision. I know I'm grateful on this Father's Day for my dad, who's here today, uh, planted this church 35 years ago and uh, been such a great influence for us. So happy Father's Day. I don't have time to get you a card, but this should count for something. Um, but then my, my grandfather, uh, who's here in the church, uh, Hubert Surratt, uh, he will turn 89 years old in a couple of weeks and uh, love him and so grateful Grandpa started preaching, traveling and preaching at 15 years old. And now at 89 years old, he leads a small group every Tuesday here at the church for seniors in the church and still going strong. That's 75 years by my math of serving God and serving God in ministry. And, and so I know uh, what it is to stand in a generational blessing, to stand in the blessing that comes from, from families who have given their life to to God. Now, it's not all been good. If you'll buy me coffee, I'll tell you some of the bad stories about them uh, as well. But, 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 but there's generational influence. And, and I know we're here on Father's Day, and, and that does come with it potentially a lot of different emotions represented in the room. Some of you are like me. You're really grateful for dads in your life, and you still have relationship with those dads. You're still able to, to spend time with them and, and talk to them. And, and then there are others of us who we've dealt with loss. Uh, just yesterday, I watched four children at a funeral service for, for Charles Peeler, four children that just shared the, the impact that their dad had made in their lives. And here they are on Father's Day, unexpectedly facing life without a dad that was 
so good. And of course, there are some of us with just complicated relationships uh, with a dad. Maybe you, you had a dad who wasn't there for you, and it creates a lot of emotion. And I just want you to know that God sees you wherever you are. We all have one thing in common, that we have a heavenly father who loves us. The Bible says he's a father to the fatherless. And so uh, he, he, he's here for us. And, and one thing every dad has in common is we have influence. We do. Whether that was influence that was used for good or influence that was used for uh, poorly, but we all have influence. And what I want us to do today is look at a passage of scripture and just talk about what, what does it look like for us to leverage the influence that we have, not just as biological dads, but spiritual dads, and of course, moms, anybody in this room. You could be 10 years old. You could be 89 years old. You have influence. How do we leverage that influence? And let's look at the power of that influence in shaping a generation that's coming behind us. And so the verse that I want us to look at is Psalms chapter 112. And it's a powerful passage of scripture that shows the potential influence that's here in this room, that's online, that's represented at every one of our campuses. It says, how joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. How joyful. Say, man, there's a lot of joy for us to follow God, but the blessing doesn't stop with you. It actually has a ripple effect. It says in verse two, their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They will be wealthy and their good deeds will last forever. How many of you want your kids to be wealthy? Uh, I know I got three. I want at least one of them to be wealthy. Take care of me when I get older. It says, light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. And then verse six says, those who are righteous will be long remembered. Man, I'm praying here at Seacoast for, for generations of kids that will grow up and they'll be long remembered, not for walking away from God like everybody else in the culture, but for, for being generous and, and, and for actually being successful and, and, and using their wealth to serve others and, and to be godly and kind and righteous. Man, that is the power of living for Christ and seeing it ripple into the next generation. That's my goal as a dad. That's my hope for us as dads here at Seco. So how do we do it? How do we influence the next generation? Three things that I see in this passage of scripture, they're gonna be help for us. Remember, we're not beating up dads today. We're celebrating dads. But no matter where you are, we have opportunity to leverage that influence. So the first thing that we're gonna do is we're gonna redefine success. Look what it says in, in verse two. It says, their children will be successful everywhere. Their children will be successful everywhere. What does success look like for you? What's your definition of success? Did, did anybody watch the Denver Nuggets win the national, the NBA uh, championship? It's amazing watching that. Just, it's like Nikola Jokic. I love watching him. He looks like he just doesn't care. And he's still way better than everybody else on the court. But it was interesting to me in the interview after they had you know, reached this pinnacle of success, he was the MVP of the NBA finals and, and the reporters are asking him, hey, what does it feel like to be the MVP of the NBA finals? And he's like, ah, you know, it's really more about my teammates. In fact, I heard that he lost his trophy like two days later, uh, lost the MVP. He didn't, he didn't seem to care. And they're like, man, what does it feel like to win the NBA championship? And he's like, yeah, you know, it's, it's my job and he actually said, uh, nobody really likes their job. If somebody tells you they like your, your job, uh, they're lying to you. I don't think that has to be true for us. But, 
But what he was saying, he said, man, I just can't wait to get back home to my family. And you could tell that he was operating on a different definition of success. Now, he was happy that they had done some great things in his career, but he had some other things that were defining success for him. And it was so cool to see and and even challenging for myself because how many people anchor their success on climbing that corporate ladder or attaining some level of financial security or winning that championship and you get there and you realize how empty it is. It was so endearing to see a guy go, yeah, this is cool, but there are more important things in my life. You know, our culture has a definition of success for our kids. Yeah, you know, I would sum it up by saying that our culture would say, hey, we want to raise successful children. We're going to define it by successes. We're going to raise well-rounded, well-educated, happy kids, right? You know, that, that, that's what our culture would say. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with well-rounded, well I mean, I love education. Uh, I, I love kids that are well-rounded and, and happy. But the problem is if that's success for them, They may attain it, and what are they going to find there? They're not going to find purpose. They're going to find emptiness. It's like, man, well-rounded is great. I can't name very many well-rounded people that have changed the world, though. Education is awesome, but I want my kids to be well-transformed more than well-educated. And so we're going to do our best to redefine success. I want my kids to be happy, but, man, if that's the aim then I may not have the hard conversations. I may not lean into the difficult moments and teach them what it is to walk through actually loss and failure and not being happy. And, and so we, we, gotta, we gotta get a new definition. So I've got a new definition of success for you guys. And this is what I'm shooting for. I believe God's called us to more than well-rounded, well-educated. Here's, here's my definition of success. I wanna send out Christ-centered, biblically-anchored world changers into our culture. Anybody on board with that? They're they're Christ-centered. They may be well-rounded, but they will be tossed to and fro with the waves of what's popular in culture. I want my kids to be centered on Christ, anchored in Scripture, and I want to send them out to make a difference in the world, to change the world. So we got to redefine success. What's, What's the definition of success for you? as a mom or a dad for your kids. I would challenge you to get clear about that. Some of my parenting mentors, uh, Gary and Amory Ezzo, they were in the last service here at Seacoast, and they taught us early on, begin as you mean to go. And, and so if you don't have a good definition of success, then we're gonna find ourselves kind of really unsure about how to navigate the difficulties. If we do have a good definition of success, we're gonna find ourselves unsure. I have teenagers, by the way. Uh, I love my kids but I'm much less inclined to tell you what to do in parenting while I have teenagers in my home. Uh, Nothing will rob you of just the security you have. I knew everything there was to know about raising kids when they were little, Uh, but it's more challenging. And so it's hard either way, but man, if we have a strong definition, we know what we're shooting for. We know what we want for them. We're praying towards that end. Then then we're going to be on our way to influencing the next generation. So let's get a better definition of success. And I know what some of you are saying. Josh, my definition of success is just not killing them today. (laughs) And we have those days too. But let's not let the fatigue that we experience or the insecurity that we have or the, the challenges that we face, let's not let that lower the bar for what we want for our kids. And so the second thing that we're gonna do after we redefine our success is we're gonna manage 
their exposure. We're gonna manage their exposure. I love verse four in Psalm 112. It says, light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. Light shines in the darkness. And and, and what we know is that what we expose our kids to is going to be a part of shaping who they become. I know Joel Christie exposed their kids to soccer early on. Yeah, I love exposing my kids to sports and, and, and likely that shapes kind of part of who they wanna be and there are all kinds of things that we expose our kids to but, but we have to manage the exposure because Proverbs tells us in, in uh, chapter 13, verse 20, that if we walk with the wise, we become wise. We associate with fools and we will get in trouble. We've got to manage their exposure and we know that the very act of sending our kids out of the front door of our homes means that they're gonna be exposed to some dark things. And, and certainly there's a whole nother message that we could preach about managing their exposure to, to what they watch and what they take in. That's super, super important. But today I don't wanna focus on keeping them away from darkness. I wanna focus on managing their exposure to the light so that when they do get into the darkness, they're bringing something with them uh, versus just staying away from the dark, Right? light in the darkness. So what am I trying to expose our kids to? How do we manage their exposure? You know, here's what I would encourage you. Three things. Expose them to the joy of knowing Christ. Expose them to the joy of knowing Christ. John 17, three. Now this is eternal life. Everybody's looking for life. Everybody's looking for meaning. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. There's just joy in knowing Jesus. I want my kids to know the joy of knowing Christ. There's been a lot said and written about the generation that's coming up and how they're turning away from religion and they're turning away from from faith in crazy numbers. And, And I can't help but think, I don't think they're turning away from Christ. I think sometimes we've just given them a poor reflection of who Christ is. And they're turning from maybe the hypocrisy that they've seen in different places and even the disconnect that they may see in our own lives as parents. And trust me, that happens in your pastor's home as much as anybody else's. We're all hypocrites in some form or fashion. But, but what I wanna do is expose them to the joy of Jesus. And, and that, that, that surfaces in the language that we use and how we talk about things. It's not a, hey, we have to do this. It's a, man, we get to do this. Are your kids seeing the joy of knowing Christ in you and in your life? Let's expose them to that. What does that look like for us, man? We struggle, but we try to be very careful with the language that we use about Christ. You know, a lot of times we can inadvertently present a a God who only cares about the the, the rules and your behavior and not your actual heart and who you are. So I do a, a drive time Devo just about every time we get in the car yeah, we'll, 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 we'll do a little devotional on connecting the word of God, the, the transforming, life-changing word of God to, to their everyday lives. And some of you are like, well, you're a pastor. You know, how much do you prepare for that? Most days, not at all. I open up my phone. There's this really cool app called YouVersion. And every day they send me a verse of the day. And sometimes that's all I've got to work with. But just one verse This week, there were several of them that stood out, but one day we were driving, and and the verse of the day was just about, 
our money. It said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but store for your, up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And we had a five-minute conversation on the fact that, man, the, the relationship we have with Christ, there's nothing that can ever take that away from us. Everything that we have, the house that we have, the car that we're in, it's all going to go away at some point. But there's some things that will last forever. And just trying to connect the joy of knowing Christ. Let's expose our kids to the joy of knowing Christ. The second thing we can expose them to is expose them to the power and presence of God in his church. Man, we got to expose our kids. And you guys win, right? You're already doing that. Congratulations. You, 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 you got credit. So I'm preaching to the choir for a second. But can I preach to the choir for just a second? We've got to elevate the value of what we do here in worship for our kids. Just even this morning, as we worship together, something happens inside of us as we connect with corporate worship and the body of believers. And, And there's a question that I hope is never asked in my home. Here's the question. Dad, are we going to church today? Nervous laughter. I get it. I hope, I hope that they never ask that question. And guess what? They, they, they do. They will because they feel like me sometimes. They wake up some Sunday mornings and don't feel like going to church. I don't always feel like coming to church. But man, my prayer is that we would consistently live a life that church isn't just something we go to. Church is who we are. This is our family. This is a part of who we are. Don't, don't ask if we're going to go to church. You know the answer. And, and sometimes for me, the days I least feel like being here are the days I most needed to be here the days God gave me something. And so I'm praying for us as a church that we would raise kids who don't ask, hey, mom, dad, are we going to church today? No, we're Christ-centered. There's a difference between Christ-centered and a Christian. My goal isn't that my kids would check off a box on a form one day when choosing between Buddhism or Hinduism or atheism, Christianity. No, I want them to be Christ-centered. That means this is what we do. This is who we are. They're going to get biblically anchored here in the church. And so, man, I, I love this church. I'm so thankful for this church because it's not just my influence going into my kids. It's your influence, too. And I think about the so many people in this church that influence my kids in partnership with me. I think about Joe Lammers. They just moved here a few, few months ago, but still taking miles to the gym and, and pouring out his life in there. I think about Abby Love, who leads a small group for my 13-year-old daughter every Thursday night. And the Overcash's home, another family in the church, and just other people that are just pouring in influence. What, what I've learned as I'm raising teenagers is that some of you can say the same thing I've been saying for years, and for some reason they listen to you more than they listen to me. And that's the power of community and the power of, of church, right? So we're going to expose them to the presence and power of God in church. And we're not going to influence the next generation by doing that occasionally, by the way. We've got to make it a priority. Got to make it a prayer. If we're not here, we're going to watch it online. We're going to do it the best that we can. And so, so we're going we're gonna to do that. And then we're going we're gonna to expose them to the thrill of being used by God. Expose them to the joy of knowing Christ, the power and presence of the church. But I want to expose them to the thrill of being used by God. That's where purpose comes into play. You know, think, think about the Nuggets this week. Uh, I read an article after they won. And there's a guy on their team named Michael Porter Jr., And he talked about where he found peace. It wasn't in winning the NBA championship. He's a strong Christ follower. It was actually through working with kids who are are hurting through the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And he spends time with kids, many of whom are facing uh, an early death. 
And he says, man, that's where I found peace. That's where I found joy is pouring my life into somebody else. That's where the secret sauce is. Teaching our kids the thrill of what it feels like to, to be used by God. It's happening all over the place. Literally, there are hundreds, if not thousands of teenagers that are being used by God this summer here at Seacoast. I asked our campus pastors to give me a few of them. And uh, Zacchaeus Quick is at our Conway campus. He's an 11th grader. And every weekend, he, he experiences the thrill of being used by God by serving on the dream team with the worship team up in Conway. Chris Dubard at the Irmo campus is a teenager. He runs production every week, turns on the lights and makes the sound happen for custom. So while his generation is coming to get something out of church, which is great, he's showing up with the thrill of actually pouring into him and being used by God. I think about in Asheville, Caroline Canterbury is a middle schooler, and she spends her weekends with, with kids that are just a couple of years younger, kindergartners through second graders, just pouring into them and showing them the love of Christ. Right now, as we speak, Jimmy Chambers and Emma Crowell, Jacob Vandiver, bunch of high schoolers are in Guatemala right now, pouring their lives out, experiencing the thrill of being used by God in the mission field. Going to be hundreds of teenagers that come with their families on serve day. You want one small step you could take to show your kids the thrill of being used by God? Do serve day with us. Middle of July, just going to come on a Saturday and and paint the town red and black. Now we have black serve day shirts too. And we're just going to serve our community and love people and, and show our kids. I know for me, I, I want them to, to know what it feels like. I'm so thankful that even this week, Kids Camp is launching at a lot of our campuses and it'll be happening in the next couple of weeks at all of our campuses. And last year, I made the mistake of planning our family vacation on the week of Kids Camp. And my nine-year-old said, well, I'm not going on vacation with you guys. You know, she was like, I, I, I wanna be here. And we forced her to come on vacation, but we, you better believe we, we managed our calendar better this year and our kids will be, attending and serving and and we gotta we gotta manage their exposure let's not just keep them out of the dark but let's put them around so much light that when they go to those dark places they make a difference we're going to influence the next generation we're going to do it by redefining success for them we're going to do it by managing their exposure and the last thought for us is we got to give them something to shoot for we got to give them something to shoot for Notice that that scripture said their children will be successful. Whose kids? Those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying commands. You know, they're going to pick up a lot more of what they see us do than what we tell them to do. And that's the biggest challenge of parenting, right? I mean, we, we will do our best and there's so many times it's, I'm telling you what to do. But, but what I know is that rules without relationship ultimately leads to rebellion but when we get in the game with them and do our best to, to just model what it is to, to have that joy, to, to make our relationship with Jesus and his church a priority, to, to serve others, they're going to see it emanating out of us. I love Paul. He gives us just a, a great definition, especially for guys, of what it looks like to model this life for our kids. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14, he says, remember to stay alert. Dads, now is not the time to sleep on this job. Stay alert. The greatest gift that you have is these years we have with our kids in our home where we get to, to, to pour into them. We, 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 we got to stay alert. Distraction is a timeless tactic 
of the enemy. But I, I, I guarantee you, he's winning more in this generation than maybe in any generation before. Because it's so easy for us to be sitting at dinner and reply to that text. Hey, I just got to get that. And again, I'm struggle with it as much as the next person. I just pray that we don't have a generation that comes up and says, yeah, my, my dad and mom, they were there, but they were distracted. Let's stay alert. He says, hold firmly to all that you believe. Stand firm. Stand firm. Our culture would try to tell us that we really have two choices. We either affirm everything that our culture tells us is right or we're, we're a bigot and we're unloving. And can I just tell you, that's not true at all. The history of our faith is a, a Jesus who was so loving, but stood firm on his beliefs. And there have been thousands of years of Christ followers who have, their love of, of culture is what transformed people, but they didn't love them by wavering and, well, today this is okay, and today this, no. The Bible is true. We want to raise biblically anchored Kids who are grounded on the word of God. So he says, hold firmly to all you believe. Be mighty and full of courage. It's certainly going to take that to stand firm in our culture. There are a lot of people that are alert and stand firm and have courage. But this, this last part of the verse is what sets us apart. As he says, hey, let love and kindness be the motivation behind all that you do. So yes, hold firm to your faith. Yes, be courageous. But don't be a jerk while doing it. Like let love be your motivation. Let transforming people's lives, showing the love of Christ to our kids. We gotta give them something to shoot for. We gotta give them something to shoot for. You know, um, my 15-year-old, uh, he's a soccer player. And uh, he's, he's all right. He's almost caught up to my skill level in soccer. But um, no, he's way past me. But he, he loves it. And he wants to play. He's playing in college or uh, high school now. Would love to play beyond that if, if that's in the cards for him. And he had a couple scrimmages this, this beginning of the summer. He came home from one of them. He's like, Dad, I am so out of shape. I've got to get my, my conditioning. You know, everything else is coming into form. I got to get, get in shape. And so last weekend, I was talking to Greg Banks, Greg's wife, Tara, is one of our worship pastors here at Seacoast. And uh, Greg spent a lot of years as the athletic trainer for the U.S. Women's World Cup soccer team. And so he would go and, and travel with them. And I would watch those games and I would pray for somebody to get hurt just a little bit because that meant Greg was gonna run out on the field. I'd get to see him. Oh, look, there's Greg. Not, not bad injuries, just hurt a little bit. But I was talking to Greg last week and I said, hey, Miles really wants to, to work on conditioning. Do you have anything for me? And so he sent me several different ways that we can work on conditioning. And one of them is the Manchester United runs, which is great because that's Miles's favorite soccer team. And so we went out this week to go do Manchester United runs. He loves it. I'm telling the story. And um, what it is, is it's 22 minutes and you have to do 22 hundred yard sprints and you have to run back the hundred yards to the starting line in 22 minutes. So that's 44 hundred yard runs in 22 minutes. And it's kind of a baseline uh, there, there's a time that you have to do each of those sprints in. And so we're driving and in my head, we're going to the field and I'm going to be the coach. I'm going to stand on the sideline. I'm going to have a whistle and a stopwatch and we're going to, you know, we're going to have him do this. And as we're, we're pulling up, I, I just had this thought, you know what? Do it with him. Do it with him. Run the race with him. 
I don't know if you can tell right now, uh, but I'm slightly out of soccer conditioning. It was like, you know what, let's do it. And so we did, and we ran. He'll tell you, we, I, I got about 10 or 12 sprints into it, and, uh, and, I, and I was tracking with him. Uh, eventually, I couldn't keep going, but I, I would stop, and I'd say, hey, you, you take the next one, I'll time you, and then I would get back in and run a couple more sprints with him. Hey, you take the next one. And, but but the, the drill, he finished it, 22 minutes, 4,400 yard runs, and he got it done. And what we realized going home is, yeah, great job, Miles, proud of you. He's like, no, 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 no. But there was power in me not just standing on the sideline, but running, running with him, getting in the game with him. And when it comes to our faith, our kids don't need us standing on the sideline, timing them, telling them what to do. They need a coach that's willing to run this race with them and run the fight, fight the good fight, give them something to shoot for. You know, that's what our God did for us. He didn't just stay in heaven and go, hey, y'all make it happen. But he came in the form of Jesus Christ and he ran this race. Whatever you're tempted with right now, he was tempted with it too. He finished the race. He ran it sinless and he died on a cross and he rose from the dead to show us the power that he would then give to us through the power of the Holy Spirit that there's nothing that we would face that we can't overcome through his power. He's not watching from the sidelines. He's running it with us. So dads, I just want to encourage you today, no matter where you are, and by the way, you may not be a bi biological dad, you, but, but we all have the opportunity to be a spiritual influence in the lives of the next generation. I want us to just be a church that's got generation after generation after generation that are living in the goodness of our faith, that are experiencing success, they're being generous, righteous, that they're known long after they're gone because of the, the legacy that's being left here. I want to pray for you no matter where you are. Just pray a blessing over your life. Like I said, I've experienced so much goodness in my life that I didn't earn on my own that came out of the fruit of generations of people following Christ. And I don't know what your generation looked like up to you, but I know that you have the ability through the power of Jesus to change the narrative today, to begin to live a different story that would change the future for your kids. Would you pray with me as we close? Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you are not a father that just stayed from afar, but you came and you ran this race. You died so that we could have life in you. God, I pray for anybody that's here today that doesn't know the joy of knowing you, that they would make that decision today, that they would just say yes to you. Hey, I want to know you, Jesus. I want to experience that joy. Maybe you've experienced some bad examples. Today's your day. Say, yeah, I want to know you, Jesus. And God, I pray for every father in this house today, here at the campuses, online. Speak blessing over them. Speak favor over them. I pray, God, that you would give us a new definition of success. Lord, that you would help us raise Christ-centered, biblically-anchored kids who would change the world. God, that you would help us to manage their exposure, that they would be filled with the light of Christ that anywhere they go, they bring light into the darkness. And Lord, that you would help us. We know we're not gonna get it right, but that we would be like Joshua. We would say that 
As for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. We're gonna run this race. Would you help us with that? Would you bless the fathers in the house today? In Jesus' name, amen, amen.